Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. I, I just want to remind you, um, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, Saturday night at 7 o'clock, we have corporate prayer here. We're praying about a number of things. One of the things that we're praying about, we're praying for, we're praying for you, your families, uh, what God has planned. We're praying for the church. We'll pray for leadership in our government. Uh, a number of things. I believe that really that place, and if we're not careful, you know, there was much to, to pray about for sure coming to the end of the year and leadership and elections and all that stuff. But we don't ever as the church want to get to the point of like, all right, well, there's nothing to pray about now. There's always something to pray. God's moving the church forward. And prayer is such a, an impactful, important aspect because we begin to pray. And as we begin to pray and allow the Spirit of God to pray through us, even things that we don't know, even plans that we haven't perceived yet, we begin to lay out a track for the future. And if we're always waiting till something happens to pray, we're running somewhat behind. Right? And God never really intended for us to be repairmen. Right? Although we can repair, he restores, he puts back together. But he didn't intend for us to run around always fixing stuff and praying to fix stuff that's broken. He intended for us to pray out ahead so that when we arrive at things that were difficult, we already know exactly what to do, what path to take. And we've got out ahead of things in prayer that we're not running behind. Amen? And so uh, we're, we're getting together. Uh, there's Take 10, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Thursday at noon. That's just kind of a, a snippet, an exhortation. And then we pray just a little bit. I encourage you to continue to set a prayer time if you don't have it. Even if you think you're too busy, find a time. If your best time is at night before you go to bed, then just set that time to get away and spend some time praying. It doesn't have to be a long period of time, but just set some time to pray. Sometimes just set some time to pray, to worship him, and just to pray and allow the Spirit of God. Not because you have a, a need or a necessity or a problem that you need to pray about, but just get over and just begin to pray. Just begin to pray in the Spirit so God can begin to stir up some stuff on the inside of you. He can begin to show you things to come. He can begin to show you that he, there is a path that he has for you to walk in and, and, and stir up hope, expectation in your life. Because as the Spirit of God begins to reveal to us individually in the church what he has planned, it should stir an expectation. As we pray, the Spirit of God begins to flood our hearts with light. And flooding our hearts with light concerning what we're called to for this generation, this time, and this hour should create a hope of that calling, an expectation of that calling, that we don't wake up every day just trying to make it through and look like a Christian, but there's a hope, there's an expectation. And when we wake up with expectation, we really set a place where God says, I love to work with expectation. Because faith is the foundation of your hope, your expectation. He says, when there's expectation, you're believing me. But he said, where there's expectation, I can work and bring it from expectation to manifestation. Amen. Praise the Lord. So more than ever before, more than at the end of 2020, where we're trying to figure out, and more than, uh, you know, when we're, we're pressed to, to pray for uh, leadership in our nation, right now, I believe, is an important time and season for us to be conscious of prayer in our prayer life. And so we know that, that schedules are busy, and so uh, we're not just having every night prayer. We may end up there if that's the way God leads us. But I want to encourage you in prayer and take advantage and put on your schedule the times that we are praying. And different ones will lead different prayer at different times, but we're still coming together to pray. And so I encourage you in that Mondays and Saturdays, uh, we get together for corporate prayer. Amen. Well, if you weren't here this morning, you weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, I want to give you an opportunity to give. 
you're making out a check, make it out to New Creation Church. You're giving by cash or debit or credit card, and you need an envelope. The ushers are going to give you an envelope. You can also give by text. Uh, if you're watching online, you can give and just put it in the mail and send it to us. We're so thankful for your giving. We're always appreciative of that and uh, things that are going on because of your generosity. And uh, we just believe that uh, God supplies all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus because of your generosity, just as Paul told the Philippian church. So we are tremendously blessed. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for uh, your generosity. And, and there are those as the Bible says, that we won't know until we get there, but they're giving thanksgiving to God because of your generosity. They've been reached, they've been reached out to, they've been ministered to uh, because of the influence that you have in the earth. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. And uh, we're going to stay a little bit on the course of redemption, but we're going to shift gears just a little bit uh, this evening. In verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If you've ever gone out to witness to somebody about the cross, they're trying to make sense of it. Why did this one guy die for everybody? I don't think I really need somebody to die for me. I don't know that. And so we have to convey that and allow the Spirit of God to work through that misunderstanding. But for us who are walking or being continually transformed and brought into the completeness of our salvation. He says to us, uh, those of us who are being saved, and sometimes we're like, wait a minute, I prayed a prayer, I'm saved. But the word saved means saved, healed, delivered, set free, made whole, and prospered. And so there's a fullness of the salvation. What Jesus did was to save us, the Bible says, to the uttermost. And sometimes our understanding of what the cross did for us is in one facet, and that's eternal destination, right? That we're going to make it to heaven because we believed in Jesus Christ. But Jesus shed his blood to bring reconciliation. He didn't shed his blood to just get us to a destination after we leave this life, but he shed his blood that we might enter into a relationship, and through that relationship, we're changed. We're changed. We're not the same people that we used to be. I mean, if you've been a Christian for any length of time and you look back to your life before you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and you said, ho-hum, I'm just the same, then you didn't understand the power of the preaching of the cross. But if you can honestly say, you know what, though I still am working some things out, I'm not the same person that I used to be. And why is that? Because the Spirit of God is working in us, ever working in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. He's changing things on the inside of us. He's ever working something out, and He's working something through. And that understanding of salvation, when Paul told the Philippian church, he said, then we begin to grab a hold together with Him, and we begin to carry out this salvation. So every time the enemy comes to thwart what the blood of Jesus purchased for us in salvation, the preaching of the cross renews our thinking, and we rise up and we have power in our life because we understand the preaching of the cross, not just the death of Jesus, but the burial and the resurrection. That's the preaching of the cross, the full redemptive work of Jesus Christ. 
And so when it becomes like ho-hum, and I don't know if it made any difference, we need to return to the understanding of the preaching of the cross because it is the power of God. Paul said this in Romans chapter 1. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for in that message of the gospel, the good news, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ is contained the power of God. In that understanding, there's the power of God for the Jew first and then for the Greek, and in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. He goes on to talk about some things. Verse 19, it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Has not God made the foolish, made foolish the wisdom of this world? He goes on to say some things and and, and point those out. You can read that. It goes in length, but I want to get to this. In verse 20. 29, he's talking about the wisdom of God, the foolishness of men, and how God has caused the foolishness, foolish things of this world uh, to be put to naught and raised up the foolish things of men to confound the wise. He said there's a foolishness people think in preaching. Praise the Lord. Right? Why do we go to church and listen to that guy preach? And God even said, you're, you're going to think this is foolish, but that's how faith comes. We'd like it to get faith some other way, but he says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he said, people think, you know, I just need more illustrations. I need more of that. But he said, listen, there's something in somebody preaching the word of God and you determining, I'm going to believe that, that seems foolish, but it's powerful. It's powerful. So he says that I'm going to use these foolish things to confound the wise. In verse 29, it says that no flesh should glory in his presence. In other words, we don't get credit for all of our intellect and all of our wisdom and all that because God stirred it all up and his wisdom seems foolish, but it's wiser than the wisest person. Now listen to this, verse 30, it says, but, in him, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And tonight and maybe into the next time, I want to Just talk to us about this one facet of this. We've been talking about redemption, but I want to talk about righteousness. I want to spend some time talking about righteousness. And Smith Wigglesworth said this. He said that it is essential that believers understand redemption and righteousness. It's essential for them to understand it if they are going to have vital and mighty faith. When we begin to understand righteousness and look at righteousness, we realize that one of the main strategies that the enemy has against the human being and against the Christian is that you are not good enough, that the mistakes that you've made have disqualified you from ever being all that God's called you to be. Because of the mistakes that you've made, you're somehow going to be on the outside looking in, somehow less, somehow less uh, prepared, less qualified than someone else. He'll use that against you. And even if you've been a believer and you've been living for God and you've made mistakes and you know I've, I've got to really adjust that, repent and, and work and understand what has happened, but I can step right back into my relationship with God. But we begin to understand that if sickness or disease comes to our home, if, if something happens financially that is a, a difficult time, a struggle, a, 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 a period of time where we begin to not have understanding of what's going on, what's the first thing that starts to stir in your mind? What did I do? 
And what do we start doing? I'm not saying that taking an inventory is bad, but what happens is the enemy starts saying, you did something, and let's, let's see. And people start going clear back to forever to figure out what I might have done wrong that has caused this thing to happen. It began to stir in me just the understanding of that, you know, thinking that we know righteousness. But, you know, I know somebody who's taught righteousness for a long, long time. And when Pastor Craig was here, he's taught righteousness. He's taught faith uh, in God. He's taught prayer and the love of God and all those things. And he said in that moment where he was kind of in that limbo place, was talking to God, it was coming to his heart and God knew it. It was, what did I do wrong? Why am I in this place? What did I do wrong? There's something that's in us that says, if something's happening, I must have done something wrong. And so you can see when it's all about what we've done wrong, and so we can't attain to it, the enemy is attacking our understanding of our righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Our righteousness doesn't come from what we have done or what we haven't done. Our righteousness comes through what Jesus Christ has already done for us. And we can ignore that righteousness and not walk in a relationship in the power of righteousness. But it never takes away from what Jesus did for us. And in fact, the enemy is counting on the fact that when you make a mistake or you do that, that you're going to look and and you're going to have all the feelings and you're going to give up and say, well, I've made a mistake. What's the use? And continue down a path away from him instead of immediately running to him. When we understand and encounter situations in life and realize that it's not what I've done wrong, there is an attack of the enemy, but I am a son and I am a daughter of God. And because I am a son and a daughter of God, that I can put my faith in him as a child of God, and I can get through this situation and come out the other side with a victory that is only found in Christ, not of my own strength, not of myself, but it's because I'm in him and his power and his blessing and his anointing and his wisdom rest upon me. They're part of my inheritance as a son and a daughter of God. That I'm not on the outside looking in, but I'm on the inside looking out. And there's a whole different view being on the inside looking out than the outside looking in. I know different situations of uh, of time, you know, the different light that, that shines. But even this morning, somebody was passing by my office and they were looking in the window. We were standing in there and they're looking in the window and I'm waving and they don't even wave back. And I'm sure it's different looking from the inside out at them because of the way the light is reflecting off the glass than on the outside looking in. Amen? And sometimes it's just different, and we want to be on the inside in that relationship, that righteousness with God, God, not on the outside. And so many times we feel like we have to struggle because we're on the outside. We've made those mistakes. We've sinned. But understand this, and I know some of you may, you know, jostle or a tussle with what I'm about to say. Some of you won't. You've heard me say it before, but you can prove it by scripture. There's some things that I'll say, you know what? I can't prove it, but you, uh, you can't disprove it. And so it's something that we're kind of out there, but this you can prove by scripture. And so it's out there and it flows every single day and it sounds super religious and it sounds, uh, you know, pious and all that stuff. But we continue to say, oh, man, don't, don't look at me. We think it's humility. Oh, oh don't, I'm, just a, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Come on, thinking that you're just a sinner, believing in your heart that you're still just a sinner. 
will limit your faith in God and your understanding of what belongs to you. But because you are saved by grace, not by what you did, not what you could attain, but by you were saved. What were you saved from? You were saved from sin. Come on, if you were saved from sin, how can you still be a sinner? And so the, 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 the mind starts moving and stirring and going, well, wait a minute. And the first question we like, our pride rises up. So you're saying that you never sinned? No. I'm not saying that we never sinned. But what we're saying is we're not sinners. And John said that he talked to his, in, in, in the epistle, he said, Listen, I'm talking to you as beloved children, not outsiders, not sinners, your beloved children. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you, you habitually sin day after day and think that you can't help it. You've not been transformed. He said, but you are my little children. You've been transformed. And when you know the blood of Jesus Christ and what it's done for you and that you are righteous, you stop sinning. Come on, just the understanding of it, you stop sinning by what? By nature. In fact, it raises us to a higher level of understanding. If I say that I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and I'm struggling through, and I'm trudging through the wind and the cold just to make it to the end so I can go to heaven, just a sinner, I can't help it. It really takes the load off of us. I can't help it. But it totally devalues what the blood of Jesus has done for us. Come on, dog, dogs bark. Cats meow, sinners sin. But listen, I'm not a dog, but I can bark. I'm not a cat, but I can meow. But listen, if I just stood up here and barked at you, you would start to think something ain't right. <laughs> right? Why? Why would you think something's not right? Because I'm not a dog. Right? If I just stood up here, meow, 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 meow. <laughs> You'd think I'm either trying to sell cat food or something's wrong. Why? Because I'm not a cat. So I can bark, I can meow, but it's not my nature. And so I don't do it all the time. Sin or sin. Right, But when you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you could choose to disobey God and sin, but it's not coming from your nature now that you've been made righteous. It's coming from your choice. And you can choose what side you want. It seems like we have no responsibility if we just do it by nature, but we've been made righteous. And so all of a sudden we've been brought back to this place where we're looking at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we can't blame Adam, and we can't blame, blame Eve anymore. It's our decision. Now, we'll take a deep, collective deep breath. Oh, my God. Come on, it's our decision. But just to take some of that pressure that you're feeling off, the reason that we make a wrong decision is because we think we have to. We can't help it because we're still sinners. But the moment we grasp a greater understanding of righteousness, we face 
that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in our life, that thing that we know that God has said, you don't have to touch that anymore. You don't have to mess with that anymore. Stay away from that. There's so many other great things that I have for you to participate in, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill your life and to fill others' lives. Leave that thing alone, that we look at it. And when the enemy says, what did God say about that? And we say, he said, leave it alone. And the enemy says, oh, you don't need to leave it alone. Come on, you've always been. All the, you're going to lose your friends, and people aren't going to like you anymore. And God just doesn't want, God wants you to become one of those radical Christians that nobody likes. He wants you to be over the top. See, he starts lying to you right away. God didn't say he wanted you to be radical over the top, although he probably does. But not in your view of that, in his view of that. He starts talking to you, and you start getting worried and going, you know what? All right, today I'll do it, and I'll ask for forgiveness later. He said, that wasn't because of Adam. That was your choice. And thank God for the blood of Jesus. Once we realize that, we can come back to him and say, God, forgive me. But see, we have trouble with that. Even the enemy, when we don't have an understanding of righteousness, the enemy says, that wasn't your fault. You don't have to go back and say you were sorry. You couldn't help it. You're just a sinner. You couldn't help it. And so all of a sudden now, we don't find a place of repentance because it was never our fault. When we realize righteousness, we look at it and we understand what it is, that I'm a child of God. As something in me stirred and thought I knew better than God and I made my own choice apart from God and it caused something to happen in my life. And so I run back to him and say, my fault. I made my own choice. I made my own decision and it was wrong. It wasn't the decision that you told me to make. It wasn't the decision that was in your word. Would you forgive me? And it's amazing what he says. He says he will cleanse us of all. Everybody say all. He'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness, which means he restores us fully to our place of right standing and sonship with him. So as we talk about righteousness, we're really looking to understand the power of this righteousness and how it is essential for us to walk in faith when circumstances come against our life. We understand and begin to know that we're the righteousness of God in Christ. We have a good relationship with God. We don't have to go back through the whole Rolodex of things that we've done, the whole Rolodex of our guilt and our shame and our mistakes, and try to find one or, or list them all so we can repent again of all the things that we've done wrong. But we know that that's all been forgiven, that's been washed, and it's been cleansed. And we are dealing with today's mistake and disobedience that we made and we can come to him and if we didn't make a mistake today we know the enemy's attacking and he's starting to pound us with oh but you haven't done right and we can take our stand and say no i believe god i'm washed i'm cleansed i'm sanctified he set me apart from that and it's no longer the problem of my life that dogs my tracks this is a lie from you and we have to recognize it as a lie Turn over to Romans chapter 1. We quoted it, but let's look at it again. Glory to God. Paul loved to talk about righteousness. You'll see, we'll just really scratch the surface as you read it, but he, he continually talks about it. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for." It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in this gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. What's he saying there? He's saying the justified 
Those who have been made just live by faith. So we'll have to break down that, that down just for, for a moment because we see righteousness and then we see justification and we see the just. But if you break that down and you look at the, the, the Greek words in the translation, I guess they just didn't want to say it over and over again. But what he's actually saying, he said in the Old Testament and the New Testament, he actually said those who have been made right with God live by faith. Those who've been made right with God live by faith. Well, why would he say that? Because up until that point, people had been living by the law and the works of the law. Their faith was in whether they did good enough or they didn't do good enough. Their, their faith was in whether the, pre, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and this year offered a sacrifice for them. And if they brought the right sacrifice and if they brought the, the, the lamb and the bulls and the goats and the turtle doves and they worked and they, they raised all those things right to make sure that they brought the sacrifice, they labored for it. And if they did, they were covered for a year until the next time. He said, we don't live that way anymore. We've been made right. We're not striving to get right. We're not looking to be covered for one year, but we've been justified. We've been made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Come on. I know it's true. You may know this in your, your, your thinking, but I know. I've watched the body of Christ. I know in my own heart that when the enemy attacks He'll attack your understanding of your righteousness. So we're just going to go through six things. We'll start here with, with one. Number one, your understanding of righteousness will cause you to live in divine favor knowing that you're approved and accepted by God. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Your understanding of righteousness will cause you to live in divine favor and know that you are accepted and approved by God. Man, that takes a lot of pressure off right there. Just understanding that. Ephesians chapter 1. We're starting verse 4. It says, just as he chose him, chose us in him. He chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us, to what? Adoption as sons. He's talking about that righteousness. By Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. See, that righteousness is where he brings us and he draws us into himself and he made us sons and daughters that was the right relationship he ordained from the very beginning that we be his offspring and and adam sin broke that place that we were his offspring and now every man that came after adam was born into and because of adam's sin there's just two types of people on the earth today there are those who are the offspring of adam's disobedience and those who are the offspring of jesus's obedience there's no gray area in there. You are either a son of disobedience, right? Sometimes we read those scriptures that Paul writes out there to the Ephesian church being dictated by the prince of the power of the air, this, the one that now works in the sons of disobedience. And we think, well, that's all those church people that I know that are doing wrong things. No, he didn't say disobedient sons. He said sons are offspring of the disobedient, right? Right? those who are offspring of Adam's fall 
And Jesus said, and and Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, that whether we understand it or not, through one man, sin entered into the earth. And through that one man, all have sinned because, why? Because he was the prototype of every single person. God said that they should be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That God had a design that every single human being would be born after them. And so many of you know this, but I, I think it bears repeating as we go through this. Because sometimes we're trying to get our mind wrapped around that. And so, just simply, this is the way we'd refer to things. If Tasha and I, well, now we're getting older, I could always use this. If Tasha and I got pregnant, (laughs) it would be like Sarah. Well, we're one together. I'm not going to get, yeah, we won't go into that. That'll be a different thing. (laughs) I'll just tell you all from marriage. When the wife gets pregnant, I get all that. But when she's pregnant... The man's pregnant, right? It affects both of us. Different ways, but we're still going through it together. So let's have mercy and grace. I'll pay for that one when I get home, but here we go. All right. No, I'm just kidding. She never makes me pay. That's how I can keep saying stuff like this. She's so gracious to me. Praise the Lord. But if we were to conceive a child in Colorado, and before the child was born, we moved to Texas. When the child was born, the child would be a Texan. (laughs) People gasp. (laughs) God forbid. Um, (laughs) but But that's what God was doing. Because Adam and Eve were created in a state of righteousness. But before they had their first child... They moved from the state of righteousness into the state of unrighteousness. And so the children born after them were born into a state of unrighteousness apart from God. Thus the necessity of Jesus, who is called the second Adam, the only other man created on the face of the earth that had no sin in him, to start a whole new race of mankind called the righteous. And that everyone that was born under Adam's sin could make a divine change and be born again. And when you get born again, you leave that old nature of Adam behind and you're born again into a newness of life. You're born again into the state of righteousness with God. You're no longer a son and a daughter of the disobedience of Adam and an offspring of Adam's disobedience, but you've entered into a place where you're the offspring of Christ's obedience to the death, burial, and resurrection. And so we have been made righteous through the blood of Jesus, not through anything of our own, not even through anything that Adam did. It was what Jesus did in our faith in that causes us to be born again into a righteous state. The righteousness of God that comes through Jesus Christ. And in that we're accepted in the beloved. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 We talk about this quite a bit here, but again, it bears repeating, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and in this, 
understanding and this revelation to know I'm accepted in the beloved. It's a gift from God. It's not what I churn for. It's not what I do every day. It's not by the sweat of my brow that I'm making myself accepted to God, but I'm accepted by him and I'm received because it's a gift of his. And so verse 17, it says, for if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Everybody say the gift of righteousness. It's a gift. It's a free gift. You can't earn righteousness with God. You have to receive righteousness. Come on, you can't earn righteousness with God. You receive righteousness as a gift from Jesus Christ. Come on, I know you're listening. I'm just trying to let this take a moment to set in because it's just consistent how we know this until stuff starts to to happen, and then we start to scramble and say, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? Oh, what do I have to repent of? What do I have to do? And it just puts us in a really odd spot with God, especially God's like, Mello. Let's just look at this and understand what's happening. If when you were dead and afar off from me in your sin, and you didn't know me, and you didn't care if you ever knew me, but I knew you, and I loved you, and I gave Jesus to die for you, when we weren't family, how much more do you think that now that you are my sons and daughters, I will do for you now? See, it's so easy how the enemy's like, now you're on the outside, we kicked you out, no longer a son and a daughter. No, he said, listen, if I would give Jesus to die for you before you knew me, how much more now, after you knew me, strengthens our faith in him, and it causes us to reign in life. Why does it cause us to reign in life? Because there's one major thing that we're struggling with that keeps throwing us to the mat, unrighteousness. You receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, you are receiving the unmerited favor of God, the ability of God, the influence of the Holy Spirit to guide and direct your life. That is grace, and it comes in abundance, he says, that you have that abundance of grace, that abundance of favor upon your life. You have the abundance of strength and power that goes beyond your natural ability, and you have this influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And on top of all that power to resist sin, you have been made sons and daughters. You're no longer a sinner. You're no longer without power. You're no longer without influence from God. You have all this stuff. You have the grace, and you've been made righteous. For what purpose? That when the devil comes and says, you're not righteous, just go ahead and sin. You can't help it. You say, no, I'm reigning over that right now like a king. I have a decree right now. I am the righteousness of God in Christ and righteous people don't do unrighteously. So wait a minute, I know righteous people who don't do unrighteously. I, I would wager a guess that we get into that quandary where we don't know if we're righteous right then, right now. We make excuses, we make choices. When we begin to understand the fullness of our favor, when we understand that we are accepted, it's not we have to do this bad thing to appease our flesh, or we have to do this good thing to get back with God. We start walking in this favor. We start walking in this righteousness with great knowledge and great understanding and faith in what he did for us. And now the faith in what he did for us starts to stem into every single area of our life. We understand righteousness then we live in divine favor, acceptance, and approval by God. Number two, 
To understand righteousness causes us to know who you are in Christ. It causes you to know who you are in Christ. Because we understand that, first of all, it started with his substitutionary work. And that substitutionary work caused us to be identified with Christ. And when we know we're identified with Christ, we know that we walk every day in union with him. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 21, he makes this declaration after saying that any man that be in Christ is a new creation, that old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. He's working backwards. He's telling us right here in 21 about the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. Then he tells us that we're identified with Christ, and because we're in union, we've been identified with Christ in God's eyes. We are in union with him, reconciled back to him. And so he says here, he says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He was our substitute that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, that we might become in right standing with God, that we might live in this place. It wasn't what we did. It was what he did in our place that means everything to us. He's already done it. Why are we trying to fill that place? Why are we trying to be inflicted with wounds and inflicted with stuff and and, and pay the price for our sin? He's already paid it. He became sin for us so that we could be right, the righteousness of God in Christ. And we don't have to rely upon the old man and what the old man can do, that there's a new man that emerges that looks like him, that has its identification in the resurrection of Christ, not the fall of Adam. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. Everybody say, our transgression. Try and say this, my transgression. My transgression. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. I'll break this down, give you a paraphrase of this. He says, the price for us to be at peace with God rested upon him. The price for us to be at peace with God or to be reconciled with God could not rest upon us. The price for us to be made righteous before God all rested upon Jesus. That we were the ones that should have been wounded. We should have been the ones that were hanging on the cross. The wages of sin is death for us. But he was our substitute. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The price for us to be made at peace with God or made right with God rested upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. His substitutionary work took us out of what sin had done to us and brought us into peace, made us right with God, reconciled us back to God. And because he did that substitutionary work, we step into that place of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if any man be in Christ, if any man be in Christed or identified with Jesus himself, he is a new creation. Old things of unrighteousness have passed away. And behold, new things emerge. And all the new things that begin to emerge are of God 
who has, has already reconciled us to himself, made us righteous. Reconciled means to be brought back into right relationship, reconciled to a right relationship. He did that through Christ becoming sin for us. And then we believe that and we identify and we're in Christed. And when we're in Christed, the old man of unrighteousness passes away and the new man of righteousness emerges. And with that, we understand that now I've been given a ministry of reconciliation. I've began, been given something to tell people that, listen, you don't have to be apart from God. You don't have to live in unrighteousness anymore. That God's not imputing your trespasses to you anymore. God's not looking down, waiting for you to sin, to swat you for your sin and hold it against you. Come on now, religious people say, oh my gosh, you're saying that? And people think they can go out and sin. See, we don't understand righteousness if you're taking this to say, oh, I can go out and sin. See, that's what the law does and unrighteousness does to us. Don't tell them. Don't tell them that they're good with God. They'll just go out and be bad with God. No, that's the old man. That's the one that's restricted under, I got to do right, I got to do right, I can't, so then I just go ahead and do wrong. The actual understanding that that old man that needed to do wrong to fulfill his flesh is gone, and there's a new man emerging, desiring to fulfill and be in fulfilled relationship with him and right relationship. As that grows, the understanding of that, that we're accepted in the beloved, we're forgiven, we're approved, we want that deeper relationship. We don't want to say, could you put that on hold while I go sin for a while? But when we're under the law, we think, well, I can go ahead and sin because i got to earn my way back anyway. And so I fall back and I earn my way back and I'm just struggling all through life, back and forth, back and forth. But righteousness says, quit it. You don't need to do that anymore. You don't need to follow after your flesh and the old things of life because there's a brand new life and there's hope and there's a hope of a future that's far better. And you don't have to be afraid of God imputing your trespasses to you because you come to him. And from the very beginning, he didn't want to hold your sin against you. As we said before, this understanding that keeps pressuring us that we're just sinners saved by grace, and we we talk about that, but then we come to the end and we say, well, God, how can a God who loves people send them to hell? Come on, we as church understanding righteousness should have the answer right off the bat. Well, we don't. We're like, man, I don't know. How's that going to work? How's God going to send people to hell? But God's not going to send anybody to hell. Now, the religious people are like, wait a minute. People are going to hell. People are going to hell. I didn't say people weren't going to hell. I said God's not sending them. See, Adam's sin condemned humanity to hell apart from God. Adam's sin did that. God didn't do that. Adam's sin did that. So everybody was already headed there. Jesus came to save you from hell. And if you reject that, that's on you. That's just a fact. When we stand before him, we either accepted and believed what he did or we didn't accept and believe it. It's on us. It was our choice to either receive him or not receive him, to believe him or not believe him. And the moment we truly believed from our heart the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the moment we believed and received that, it said it was accounted to us for righteousness. 
And then he said, now you've entered into that place. I want you to grow as a child of God. I want you to develop as a child of God. I want you to know that you're an heir of mine and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need all the things that the world generates and has to offer. You have your inheritance in me. And though you're in this world and it looks a lot the same, it's not of this world. It's more supernatural than that. It's different than that. You're not a mere man anymore, but you are a person filled with the life of God and the power of sin is broken over your life. You are sons and daughters of God. It's just the way that it is. And if you don't believe it, it gets confusing. When you believe it, it starts to turn in your heart and direct our path anew. Because when we understand that we're right with God and he loved us so much and we love him, we don't want anything to break that relationship. We don't want anything to come between us and him. Sometimes I don't know it's going to happen. And and Paul even said, God, forgive me for things I've done in my ignorance. And he's asking for forgiveness in saying that. But just on a human level, I hate it when I do stupid things that would come between Tasha and I. And over 34 years, I've done plenty of stupid things, right? Not to break our marriage. Our relationship is secure. But I've done things to break fellowship. And when I tell her that I'm sorry that I did that, it was just my stupidity or my selfishness, and she forgives me, guess what? Fellowship's restored. We're still married, but our fellowship gets disturbed. When we come to the place of saying, listen, my relationship isn't at jeopardy, my fellowship is at jeopardy. As a Christian, when I make mistakes, my fellowship with him becomes at jeopardy. Not my relationship. I'm a child of God. But because I'm a child of God, I want strong fellowship. I want to walk with him every day. I want to talk with him every day. I want his direction in my life, his influence, and his anointing. Praise the Lord. All right. We need to wrap tonight up. Just give me a second. Romans chapter 4. We're just looking at understanding that righteousness and knowing that through his substitutionary work, we have identification with Christ, and therefore we have union with him. Romans, the fourth chapter, 24th verse, says, but also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who is delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Come on, he paid the price for your sin at the cross, and when he was raised, he declared you and I who would believe righteous. He already did. And in that righteousness, guess what we do? We identify with Jesus as sons and daughters. And as sons and daughters, we come into union with him. Romans chapter 10 Romans chapter 10. In verse 9, most of you just know this. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now remember what we just said. He raised for your justification. He raised for your justification. He said if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness when with my heart i believe that he raised from the dead 
conquering death, hell, and the grave, paying the price, and coming out victorious for me. And I believe that. It's accounted to me for righteousness. I moved from being a sinner and afar off to being a child and being in right standing with God through what I believe in my heart. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, even so when we believe God, it's accounted to us for righteousness because of that relationship. All right. Romans chapter 3. Y'all about ready. I see some people winding down. I've given you a mouthful here. I just want to give you something to understand um, as we look at as we look through this. And the beginning of Romans chapter three, when we talk about righteousness, the religious mindset will will begin to say, "Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You're, you you say you're righteous." Well, understand this: that it's not of our own righteousness. We 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 can't boast of righteousness. Our own righteousness by our own works. The Bible says it's filthy rags. But if we don't acknowledge and boast in him concerning our righteousness, we'll always sell ourselves short of what the death, burial, and resurrection did for us. And so they'll go here to Romans chapter 3 earlier on, and it'll say, see right here, Paul says, there is none righteous, no, not one. What are you going to do with that, pastor? I'm glad you asked. If you look at that, he's quoting an Old Testament scripture. And what he's actually telling us right here in Romans chapter 3, what he's telling the Roman church, is he's speaking at the beginning of here in Romans chapter 3 at about uh, verse 9. What are we going to do about this life in Christ? And then he quotes this, and what's he saying? He's, he's identifying man's condition in Adam. And man's condition is Adam is there's no none righteous, no, not one. There is none that retains knowledge. It says out of their mouth comes evil things and, and, and all the things. He's talking about the condition that we have in Adam. And so then he moves on and he says, but now, and you have to read all of that, but understanding, you can read that and go, well, I guess there's none righteous. I guess there, we can't have the knowledge of God, but we know that's not true. He gave us his word. But it goes on to say this verse 21. He says, but now, everybody say now. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All in Adam sinned and fell short of the glory, the splendor, the righteousness of God being seen on their life. All did that. But being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance or in his patience, God passed over the sins previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness, that he might be just or righteous and the justifier or the one who makes us righteous of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Come on, he talks about man's condition in Adam and the lack thereof of being right with God. 
and having righteousness. And then he shifts gears and says, you could never get it by the law, but we're here to see right now the righteousness of God be revealed. How he was right, how he took our sin, how he was our substitute so that we could be forgiven. That by he, he who knew no sin became sin for us, became our sin so that we could be the righteousness of God in Christ. That we could be restored, not from uh, living righteous, unrighteousness, but we could be restored to right relationship. And in right relationship, we know that we're sons and daughters of God. See, people will say that. Well, you can't do that, even if Jesus said, because Jesus was the Son of God. He was the Son of God that paid the sin of the world, but now we identify with him as sons and daughters of God. Why? Because we've been made righteous. We've been made righteous. Come on. It's not something you just, well, I'm righteous. As you meditate on it, it's essential to you having strong, effective faith. It's essential to me having strong, essential, uh, strong, effective faith. I just encourage you. We're going to talk about this. We have six things. I just got to two. But I encourage you, and I warn you, watch as you go out through this week, things happening, and the enemy saying, this happened because you ain't all that. I just have a suggestion when that comes to your mind. Say, I already know. I ain't all that in myself. But I ain't in myself. I'm in Christ. Come on. And if you know you made a mistake, you run to him and say, man, I messed up. My bad. Forgive me. And he said, he'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And boom, just like that, he washed you. And you're in right relationship once again. It's powerful moving forward. It's powerful to not coming under the condemnation that the enemy tries to bring upon your life. And if he can't bring guilt and condemnation on your life, he can't bring depression. He can't oppress you. He can't inflict you with the, the knowledge that something's wrong with you. He can't do that. Your righteousness, whether you know it or not, is under attack on almost a daily basis. When we begin to understand that we were redeemed by the blood and we were made righteous and we know that and we stand on that and we live in that, man, the devil begins to be rendered helpless in areas that he has been successful in our lives. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you.